This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. The next president of the United States will be Donald J. Trump. Very little is known about his foreign policy, in part because his comments on foreign policy have varied widely. Emma Ashford is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. She comments on the challenges ahead. In this election, Russia and Vladimir Putin seemed to loom much larger uh, than they should have. Why, why was that? Well, there were some legitimate concerns about Russia. Um, and so we have the, the DNC hacking scandal that was almost certainly facilitated by Russian intelligence um, via WikiLeaks. So there were some, some sort of legitimate concerns that Russia might actually be trying to, if not throw the election to Donald Trump, then at least um, make everything a little more confusing than it should be for voters. Um, but Putin's influence on the election was, was relatively small in real terms. Nobody believes he you know, actually got Donald Trump elected. Instead, what we saw was this sort of very public debate about what our future relationship with Russia should be. Hillary Clinton advocating probably a much more hawkish line than even the Obama administration has taken, and Donald Trump uh, just bizarrely for a Republican candidate saying that he wanted better relations with Russia, that he wanted to end the crisis in Ukraine, that he admires Vladimir Putin's leadership. So this was a a very strange topsy-turvy debate. All right. So now that uh, Donald Trump has won, what can we say broadly about his foreign policy? You know, the conversations I've had with Trevor Thrall and you and others, the answer seems to be not much. There are more questions than answers on Donald Trump's foreign policy. And I think that probably holds true for a lot of policy areas. You know, I know on energy policy, he's not very, he's not really stated his policies clearly. And in foreign policy, what we have is this sort of um, grab bag of very disparate statements that he's made at various points throughout the campaign. And we have no idea if those are really deeply held opinions that he will follow through his policy, or if they are the statements of a reality TV show man trying to get attention and trying to get elected. So a lot of his more hyperbolic statements, things like, you know, we should kill terrorists' families, we have no way of knowing if that's something he'd actually pursue. With that uncertainty, which a lot of other uh, leaders of various other countries have uh, highlighted in their reactions to Donald Trump being elected, uh, what does uncertainty do to uh, the foreign policy establishment? here in Washington, D.C., and actual foreign relationships that the United States has. I think it's fair to say that the foreign policy establishment here in D.C. has been in panic mode since last night, um, just trying to figure out what we might actually expect from a Trump presidency. Um, As I see it, based on some of the statements that he's made in the campaign, this could go one of two very different ways. Um, So on the one hand, we have Trump's relatively restrained foreign policies that he has proposed. Um, One might almost call them isolationist in that he is a true isolationist. He also wants to cut off trade and immigration. But he's advocated things like we shouldn't be fighting as many Middle Eastern wars. We should try and improve our relations with Russia. And those are the good things. Um, And then there's the bad things, which are, you know, he wants to almost entirely withdraw from the world that would be bad for us in the long term. 
The second option, however, is that Trump is just one man, and this is a very strange set of policies that he has advocated throughout the campaign, particularly for a Republican candidate. So if you look at the people who are likely to be advising him, who are likely to be on his cabinet, what we see is actually a lot of those people are much more hawkish, um, almost neoconservative in several cases. So we might see a Trump foreign policy that does pull back from targeting the Assad regime in Syria, say, or does improve relations with Russia a little, but at the same time pursues wars with much more force, uh, goes after countries in the Middle East, starts a trade war with China, takes a more hawkish line on a lot of other countries. Um, And I think the really challenging thing, not just for foreign policy specialists, but for the American people, is we have no idea which of these two paths Donald Trump will take. So with respect to trade, and I don't want to bog you down too much in that issue, there are huge implications for the trade is relations with other countries just by its very nature. And his trade rhetoric is consistent and has been consistent for, I would say, 30 years uh, with respect. Whenever he talks about trade, it's always it's us versus them. And what might that trigger if he were to follow through pretty much on any of those uh, policies that he's pledged with respect to 35 percent tariffs on uh, certain imports from uh, companies that move their production uh, overseas or into other countries? I think that's a really great question because we have talked a lot about the implications of his trade policies for U.S. workers, for companies, um, but there are foreign policy implications of trade. So if Donald Trump, on his first day in office, as he's promised, declares that China is a currency manipulator and tries to rip up a bunch of trade deals, that will prompt responses from other countries. And while I think it's probably scaremongering to say that it could lead to a large-scale conflict, it will certainly raise tensions with other countries. China is the the obvious example here. And so trade has foreign policy implications uh, in addition to sort of the economic ones. In, within the foreign policy establishment, that is to say, within the government's foreign policy people, there are hundreds, thousands of people that uh, may be hired or may find themselves with jobs in a new administration who have a foreign policy role. But Donald Trump, for the most part, really hasn't uh, you know, filled out the lists of names for people who might be filling those roles. Are, are those just going to be the same old people in Washington, D.C., who typically are going to ex- be expected to have those kinds of jobs? One of the more interesting things about this campaign has been Donald Trump's inability to round up a a coherent set of experts to advise him on a lot of issues, but particularly on foreign policy. Almost no one that we would consider a reputable voice in foreign policy has been willing to sit down and associate their name with advising Donald Trump. And so what he's been advised by throughout the campaign is mostly a series of uh, has-beens, people like Newt Gingrich, or people like Mike Flynn, who have once been insiders, but they they have some ideas that are definitely a little out there. Um, And so the question that people... uh, who might normally staff these positions in a Republican administration are going to have to ask themselves whether they are willing to overcome their concerns about Trump, about his racism, sexism, all of those other issues and actually work inside the administration. And again, I think that leads us back to we have no idea where Trump is going to go in foreign policy if 
many of these people, the, the Washington establishment, dis, uh, you know, decide that it's in the national interest to join the government, try and restrain Trump, the foreign policy we see might not be all that different from what we've seen under previous Republican presidents. But if, on the other hand, he can't staff his administration adequately with people that are actually experienced with foreign policy, he may just be creating foreign policy randomly. Emma Ashford is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.